So we have different realizations in life. I want to share with you, though, a serious one that I had a few years ago that really changed how I thought of how I read the Bible and do ministry um, as I engage with the Bible. And it was this. I was in seminary, and we were studying about the Pharisees. If you're not... um, like grown up in a church background and don't have an awareness of the Pharisees in the New Testament, they were this group of people that were really um, enemies of Jesus, not from Jesus' side. He loved all people, but they did not like Jesus and they opposed him and they opposed his message. And so I always grew up thinking the Pharisees were the bad guys. They were the bad people. Um, But then I learned as I was taking this course that actually the Pharisees were held in high esteem in their culture and they were considered heroes. And the reason they were considered heroes is they were everyday people. They were not priests. They wouldn't be like in our day's pastors. They were just everyday people who really loved God's word and really prized it. But one of the things that they did was they wanted to take it and really help people apply it to their lives and live it out in every ordinary day life. And so, for example, they would read a command of scripture that said, uh, keep the Sabbath holy. And they would say, okay, like, what does that mean? How do you do that? How do you know when you're keeping the Sabbath holy? How do you know if you're breaking the Sabbath? And so because they wanted to be helpful and apply it to their life and people's lives, they would come up with ways to not break the Sabbath and then ways to honor the Sabbath. So they would say, hey, don't walk more than X amount of steps. If you do that, then you're probably breaking the Sabbath. Um, Don't do this or don't do that. And they did this with all the major commandments of the Old Testament. So they were held in high esteem because they really loved the Bible and because they wanted it to be relatable to every facet of our lives, not just on Sunday, in their case Saturday, since that was their Sabbath, but every other day of the week. And, And the realization I had was not simply that they were held in good esteem and that was their passion. I had this realization while I was pondering this for a second. Okay, there are people who love the Bible who really want to help people see its relevance for everyday life and help them want to apply it to their lives. Man, they would really love a lot of modern evangelical churches and Bible studies. They would really love how I sometimes teach the Bible. Because it can be very easy to do sermon series or do Bible studies on, hey, here are five ways to be a biblical parent. Pharisees would have loved that Bible study. Yes, let's get in the word and really apply it and show how people have a better parents. Hey, four ways to be a better employee and have God at the center of your work. Pharisees would have been like, woohoo, I am there. I will lead the Bible study with you. They would have loved it. And I just had this realization that if it were possible for the Pharisees to love God's word and to love applying it to our lives, but then they missed Jesus and missed the centerpiece of his message, then it's possible for us to do the same thing. Like, it could be very easy for us to be very passionate about God's word and applying it to our lives. And by the way, we should be. I'll get to that in a second, but we should be. But we could do that and become really great Pharisees together. I don't think anybody wants that. And I don't want that for you, and I don't want that for me. And so I, at the time when I had this realization, I didn't have the language that I'm about to share with you. I've had this thought, but then it's interesting when I came to Redeemer, I'm like, oh yeah, that's the language. Although I'd heard, I think Tim Keller was the one who um, actually voiced this phrase that we're about to say here in a minute. Um, but when I came here, I heard this house rule. I'm like, okay, this is a house rule that helps guard us from potentially becoming really good Pharisees who love the Bible and apply it to our lives, but who miss the main point of the Bible. And that's Jesus and not anything that we have to do, but what he has done. And it's the house rule we're going over today, and it is called good news 
then good advice. I actually think, yeah, we have it up there on the screen for you. Good news, then good advice. So real quick, it's not good news, not good advice. No, because like one of the things I want to go and tell you is that the Bible is so helpful for every area of your life. Like I want you to hear me say that. The Bible is so helpful for every area of your life. But if we're not careful, we will miss the big thing, the main thing, and that's the gospel, the good news. And so what we want to talk about this morning is really the good news. Why do we, why do we treasure the gospel, the good news so much? What is it? What is it not? And how can we do it? So in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer three questions. We're going to come out of 1 Corinthians 15 for the majority of our time, but I really want to answer three questions in terms of this house rule. And again, just a reminder, we're doing these house rules. There, there are ways of encapsulating what we see in scripture regarding the gospel around creating a culture of grace in our churches, but then also in our families and our everyday lives. So for this uh, house rule, what I want to really ask is three questions. Okay, what do we mean when we say good news and good advice? Number two, why do we do good news and then good advice? And then number three, how do we do good news and good advice? So let's start with the basics. What do we mean when we say good news and then good advice? What do we mean when we say good news, good advice, period? We have a slide on the screen that I think will give you a basic definition of both of these ideas. Advice is something that you can or must do, and you can do it now or in the future. So it's really mainly about you and what you do. News is different. News is about something that has been done in the past or that has happened in the past and that your place in this is to respond to it. So advice mainly about what you do, news mainly about what others have done or something else that has been done for you or an event that has happened that you then have to respond to. Where where we see this in our text, the idea of of good news is you may not have catched it because of the word that was used, but when it said in verse 1 in 1 Corinthians 15, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. That word gospel in the original language was euangelion, which simply means good news. Euangelion is also the root word that we use for evangelism. So a person who's doing evangelism is simply going around and telling other people good news, not of anything that they have to do, but of something else that has been done for them. And so the reason that we want to be people who start with good news is because we are a people who have good news to tell. We have the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the message of what God has done in and through Christ Jesus 2,000 years ago through historical events and not anything that you have to do first. You do have a place. You have to respond to it, but you respond to what he has already done. Well, what did he do? The text goes in and unpacks specifically the content of the gospel. In verse 3, he says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So when we talk about the good news, the gospel, what we're saying is that God has accomplished something through Jesus' death and resurrection And that you need to hear that first of what Jesus did for you before anything you have to do yourself. Well, what did he do in those things? On the cross, Jesus took the penalty of our sins. In scripture, I would actually say, let's do it this way. Let's start with the bad news and let's go to the good news first. The bad news scripture tells us in Romans is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The bad news gets worse and that not only have all sins, but we are all going to die because of our sins. Romans also says the wages of sin is death. The bad news gets even worse because in the book of Hebrews, it says that not only have you and I sinned and the wages of sin is death, we're going to die. The book of Hebrews says it is appointed once for everyone to die and after that comes judgment. Judgment. 
where you're going to have to stand before a holy God and give an answer for all the sins you've committed and your overall posture towards God of saying, no, 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 I'm going to do it my way. The bad news gets even worse because there's nothing you're going to be able to do to save yourself. Um, I used to do this in a sermon that I preached at camps where I was trying to make the gospel really visual for, for students, and I would bring up students on the stage and have them like, hold up a stick, and then on the, on the top of the stick would be someone's face from culture, and it would be politicians, pop stars, uh, athletes, and things like that, and I would say, okay, imagine you had a line in the middle of the room, and over here is good people, and over here is bad people, because naturally, a lot of times, we think people are good or bad. I would say, okay, I want you to rank how people would do it. And they would put them in different places. I would even throw some easy ones in there, like Hitler would be all the way on the bad side. We have other like people like Mother Teresa or Tim Tebow. Um, I know they're not the same. Like, you're like, I don't know how to put them in the same category, but for students, sometimes they are, okay? So they'd be on the good side, but then here's what I would do is I'd throw them a loop at the end, and I would give them another uh, stick that had a face on there, but it was silhouetted, and it simply said the word you. Where would you put you? Every time, and I must have preached this sermon at least a dozen times, every time, here's what they would do. They would look over to Hitler, <laughs> and kind of everybody then put on this side. They'd look over to Mother Teresa, and everybody put on this side, and they would look at the middle, and here's what they would do. They would take you, they'd go just a little bit to this side, and put themselves literally right here every time like clockwork. And because a lot of people, that's how they think, is like, hey, I'm not, the, I'm not a bad person, I'm not the worst person, I'm not the best person, but I'm basically a good person, and therefore God and I are okay. It's good enough for me to get into heaven. The problem with that is that that's how we see the world, but that's not how God sees the world. And how God sees the world is infinitely more important than when you and I see the world. God's standard is not good or bad. God's standard is you are either perfect, another word used in the Bible is righteous, or you're not. Or in Ephesians 2, it says that we are dead in our sins. You're either dead or you are alive. And so the bad news is that we've all sinned, we all deserve punishment for that sin, and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves for our sin. But here's where the good news comes in. I hope you've been tracking with me. The good news is that whereas you and I have all sinned, Jesus never did. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are and have been, but he never sinned. The good news gets better is that even though he never sinned, what he also then did do was he went to the cross and he bore the penalty for the sins you and I have committed. And the good news gets better because even though you and I have sinned and we cannot save ourselves, Jesus can save us. If, and this is where the response comes in, we will repent and place our faith in Jesus. And by the way, I know a lot of you, for you, this is like the basics, but listen, it's good to go back to basics because sometimes we move into what we'll talk about in a little bit called good advice mode. So what, what does response look like? It's repentance and faith. Two big things in the scriptures, repentance and faith. Well, what's repentance? Repentance is a change of mind or a change of direction. It's when we're saying, hey, I was going in this way. Now I'm going to go in a different way. I was doing life on my own. Now I'm going to do life Jesus' way. Uh, a, a f- kind of a visual I like sometimes is the idea of imagine this is a throne. Before you have a relationship with Jesus, you are on the throne of your life calling the shots, doing your thing. To repent means that I'm no longer going to put myself in charge of my life, but I'm going to get off the throne and let Jesus take the throne of my life. So that's repentance. Well, what's faith? Using the chair also kind of as an example, it's like, this is a chair. Um, Faith is not simply believing that the chair exists. 
Faith is not even believing that it can hold me if I sit. Faith is actually me sitting down on this chair and trusting that it can and will hold me. This would have been really awkward if this chair just broke right now. Really, really awkward, but it didn't. Well, then what is faith? Faith isn't simply believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. Demons know that. But they don't have biblical faith, saving faith. No, faith is trusting that what Jesus did on the cross, and then when he rose from the grave and therefore defeated death and could give me life, faith is me trusting in Jesus to then receive that. So that's the gospel. That's the good news. Not anything that we did, but everything Jesus did. Good advice, then, is not bad but it follows that. Because if we're not careful, if we start with good advice and then get to good news, good advice is all about what who does? You. Whereas the core of our faith is about what Jesus has done. Now, why do we start with good news? I want to answer now the kind of like our next one, because that is what good news and good advice. Actually, before we do that, I almost forgot a big thing, um, just for some clarity. Again, we're not saying that good advice is bad. So again, God's word has so much to teach us. Like, there's some good stuff in here to teach us and to show us how we would live. It's not bad. It just has to follow the right order. First, what Jesus has done, and then what we must do. Here's the second thing is, uh, we got to be careful, because we landed on this phrase, good news, then good advice, just because it kind of rolls off the tongue well, and other people have said it. But what we don't want you to think is the thing in this are advice. <laughs> God has commands in here. <laughs> and we don't get to like, ah, I can take it or leave it. No, like, these are commands to obey. So just know when we say advice, really what we're mainly trying to say is, hey, advice is things you must do. But I don't want you in any way to th- think that we think that this is just advice for you to keep or leave. No, these are commands we have to obey. The key is, is that the gospel must come first. But why? Why does Paul say, here, I deliver to you as of first importance what I received. And then he goes to the gospel. Why is it the biggest thing? Why is it the most important thing? Th- three big reasons I want to give us. Okay? Number one, the gospel solves your biggest problem. We already really, in a sense, dealt with this, but I just want to highlight it again. What's your biggest problem? Is your sin. But here's the thing is, if your biggest problem is sin, then you have to think, okay, can you handle that on your own, or did Jesus have to do it for you? And here's why I say this, is that really, whether you need good advice or good news depends on the nature of the problem you have. So, for example, I think we have a situation we're going to put on the screen that where a kid needed or a parent needed some good advice about a kid's situation, okay? If you can't tell right now, a kid has slime in her hair and is crying because of it. If as a parent you're faced with this situation, in that moment you probably need good advice. You need to go to Google and figure out how do you get slime out of a kid's hair or you call a friend. I'm just going to go ahead and say right now that I think the answer to this is scissors. Let's just, it's going to not be good. It'll take a while for it to grow back, but let's just make this quick and easy and let the hair grow back. But the whole idea here is that I don't need good news. Here I need good advice because I can do something about this situation, even if what I can do will not be pleasant. You tracking with me? Let's go to a different situation, though. Let's put another picture up. If you're in this situation, this was taken from the picture of a plane, and if you're flying this week, I am so, so sorry. The Pascals, one of our visiting missionaries, are leaving tomorrow, and they're like, really? Last week, Rob tells a story about, like, almost crashing, and then you do this? Like, what are you doing here? Anyways, if you're looking out the window and you see that, do you need good advice? No. Why? Because what are you going to do about it? Hey, you're not an expert. And even if you were, what are you going to do? The plane's in flight. In that moment, what do you need? You need good news, even though right now you've got a bad news situation. 
In the same way, depending upon your need or the problem you're facing, it depends whether then, that then determines to say whether you need good advice or good news. Well, here's the thing. If we just said that if you have sinned, you are worthy of the wrath and judgment of God, and that there's nothing you can do to save yourself, good advice won't help you. Let's even think about this. In Ephesians 2, it says that we're dead in our sins. You don't go to a dead person and say, hey, can I give you some advice? That'd be really weird. Like, it'd be really weird if you went to someone who's just dead lying on the ground. Hey, can I tell you how to give yourself CPR right now? It's really strange. No, in that moment, what the dead person needs is for someone else to do something that they can't do possibly for themselves. And here's what I want to tell you right now. The biggest problem in your life and in my life is not that you're a bad parent. I'm not saying you are, but in case you're thinking that. It's, it's not, maybe let's not phrase it negatively. It's not that you need to be a better parent. Your biggest problem isn't that you need to be a better spouse. Your biggest problem isn't that you need to be a better employee, a better friend, a better child, a better whatever. The biggest problem in your life is what you're going to have to face after your life is over. And that's the penalty for your sin. And no amount of good advice will help you with that. But you know what does help with that? Good news. The good news that Jesus paid the penalty so you wouldn't have to. So that if you place your faith in him, Ephesians 2, you know what it goes on to say? While we were dead in our sins, because Jesus raised from the grave, he can give you life spiritually and make you born again and alive for the first time ever. That's good news. So why do we do good news and the good advice? Because it solves the biggest problem. It's not that there's no other problems. It's not that God doesn't want you to be a better parent, a better whatever. But if you don't solve the first issue, the biggest issue, it doesn't matter about the other. I, I was faced very vividly with this um, a few years ago. Uh, my, my family and I were living in Mississippi, and um, we were in a small group. It's what we called um, there, what we call now our gospel communities here. We're in a small group with a group of people from church, and there was a couple in there called Brian and Deidre. And great couple, very good-looking couple. Brian was like a good, small-town, country guy, just seemed like kind of your salt-of-the-earth kind of a person. On the outside, everything looked great. Uh, we get a call one day, and we find out that um, Brian's wife has taken the kids and left him. And the reason was because he had a big drinking problem and it had been getting worse and worse and worse and worse. So eventually it gets so bad that she takes the kids and leaves. I get the call. Brian and Deidre lived in our neighborhood, so I just walked over to their house and he's alone. And I go in there and he just reeks of alcohol. He just reeks of it. And we just sit down and we start talking. And in that moment, I, here's what I could have done. I could have said, hey, Brian, like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to check you into rehab, and we're going to do all these things to get you sober, and then we're going to do these things next to get you back reconciled with your spouse and with your kids, and then we're going to get everything solved. And none of that would have been bad. But what I found out as I talked to Brian is that even though Brian had grown up around the things of Jesus and around church, he never had actually had a moment where he received the salvation of Jesus and been reconciled to God. So what does it do? But I just sat down with him in his living room as he's crying and he's just living in his guilt over what has happened. I just said, hey, Brian, listen, eventually would love to talk with you about some steps forward of how you can walk this out of all that you're going through. But the first thing I need Brian to tell you is that even more than being reconciled to your spouse, right now you need to be reconciled to your God. The God who created you, who loves you, who died to save you. And then I believe has the power to help you and to transform your situation. And by God's grace, Brian responded, and he received salvation. 
The path wasn't all easy, but the good news that I do have to tell you is that that good news had an impact in his life. And his marriage was restored, and now they're happily married still to this day. But in that moment, what I want you to hear is, yeah, he needed, in a sense, good advice, but what he needed most was good news. That's why we start with it. Number two, a second reason why we start with good news and then we give good advice is that good advice without good news is bad news when we can't keep the good advice. That is a mouthful, by the way. Yeah, I think this is on the screen in case you want to write it down, but it's a mouthful, but let me say it again. Good advice without good news is bad news when we can't keep the good advice. I'm thinking of two specific things, and Rob and I were talking about earlier this week, um, two specific things with this one that I want to kind of unpack with you, is that, again, this is not advice, these are commands, but so much of the commands in here, obviously not so much all the commands in here are for our good and for life. But here's the thing is, even when you become a Christian, you can't perfectly keep everything that's in here. Let me start with the easiest one, the biggest one, right? What did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? (laughs) <laughs> it's like, that's, that's like what you do when you like, you feel confident, but you're like, I don't know if I'm that confident, like, you know, kind of a thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? So greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all, again, all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of Christians nowadays would say, hey, really, this is all really simple. Just love God and love people. And it sounds so simple. Here's the issue with that. You have never loved God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength for one millisecond of your life. And from now until the day you die, you will never love God for one millisecond of your life with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I just said that you're going to be a perpetual failure from now until you die. Wow, that's good news, Paul. (laughs) It's not good news. It's bad news if you put the focus on everything you have to do. If I kept just coming in and just say, you need to love God better. You need to love other people better. That's bad news because why? If all you ever do is fail, it's eventually going to crush you. But if you remember that Jesus already knew you were going to fail and that's why he came and he didn't fail and he died on your behalf, you are liberated now. You don't have to worry about perfectly keeping his commandments all the time. Grace then, and I like to say this because some people use grace as a reason to live however they want. No, no. Grace is not a reason to live however you want, but grace is a safety net for when you don't live how you want or God wants. And so if we came in here and we just always were saying, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to apply this from the Bible to your life and that from the Bible to your life, but we'd never tell you the gospel, you would always feel like perpetual failures. But you would never see that that was the point of the gospel, that Jesus succeeded for everywhere you failed, and he died to cover everywhere you failed. I hope this is tracking. Second thing um, that we wanted to give to you this is this. We live in a very much a good advice culture. I'm, I'm bringing my phone up because I had um, Googled just some different things for being a better parent, a better spouse, whatever. Like... Listen, our, our world is full of good advice, and, and, and it was very easy for me to find it. So I just Googled the other day, um, ways to be a better spouse, and here were just some of the things that I got. 30 ways to be a better partner, 12 ways to be a better husband, 50 small tips to have a successful marriage. <laughs> you laugh because you're like, 50? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, 50, 30 easy ways. Actually, no, I'm sorry, I'm on the parent thing now. I can only next out of that. Um, 30 ways to be a better husband and so on and so forth. But then let's actually go to being a parent. 50 easy ways to be a fantastic parent. <laughs> Top 10 good parenting tips. What makes a good parent? 10 commandments of good parenting. How to be a good parent. I looked up the qualities of a friend or how to be a good friend. Struggling to be a good friend? Learn how to become one. How to be a good friend with pictures, for those who are more visual. (laughs) 11 qualities of a good friend and ways to be an even better one, and so on and so forth. And here's a few things with those I wanted to highlight. Number one, if you want good advice, the world is full of it. It's full of it. But here's the thing is, it's like, I don't know about you, but when I read all that, I get tired. Because I can't keep all the good advice the world has to offer, or even that I can't even keep all the stuff that this has to offer, and this is the Bible. The world has plenty of advice to offer, but what they don't have is good news for when you can't keep it. And we do. We have the message of a God who covers over all of our failures to keep the good advice. Okay, last thing of why we start with good news and then give good advice. Good advice doesn't always guarantee that things will go good. I know that's not good grammar. (laughs) My English teachers in the room are like, you should have said, like, do well. But it's it's a good play on words. Good advice doesn't always guarantee things will go good. I, I want you to hear me very carefully right now. I believe that God's way is better. I believe that if we would actually apply what we see in this passage, our marriages would be better, our lives would be better, the world would be better. I, I really do. But what I also want you to know is, is that even if you apply everything here perfectly, things can still go bad. Let's take uh, Proverbs, for example. Proverbs, classic verse. Um, Train up your child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And a lot of people have taken this. Like, See, if I would just really like, spiritually pour into my kids and disciple them well, they'll never leave Jesus. They'll get to know Jesus, and they'll never leave him. And so we'll take this proverb, and it's a great proverb. And I believe there's truth in it. But here's the thing about Proverbs. Proverbs is general wisdom. So what I like to think about is whenever I read a proverb, I like to put the word generally in front of it. Generally, if you train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. But sometimes they still do. So even if you spiritually pour into your kids, sometimes they will still walk away from Jesus. Maybe just for a season, but it will happen. I'm looking at some people in the room who I know you spiritually invested in your kids, and right now they have a season of waywardness. Let's, let's talk even not only about parenting, but even about like our marriages. For example, um, husbands, I believe we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That's Ephesians 5, Amen. And there's going to be times when you do that, and she's not going to notice and not say thank you. <laughs> and by the way, vice versa too. So husbands, don't be like too bad yourself. It happens both ways. There's going to be time where you might be doing the things God has called you to do as a spouse, but your marriage is still struggling. Um, there's going to be times when you're going to need to forgive someone. And the Bible says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then it says in Romans, specifically then to forgive one another. But here's what we've sometimes done with that verse and and about forgiveness is we've said, okay, like if you'll forgive someone, if you'll go to someone and say, hey, you really hurt me, but you know what? Because Jesus loved and forgave me, I love and forgive you. Sometimes we have in our mind like, oh, if we'll do that, then they'll feel guilty and finally admit that they were wrong. And that sometimes happens. But I've had situations where I've gone to someone and said, hey, what you did really hurt me. 
but I forgive you. You know what they've done? I don't care. We're like, hey, that wasn't on me. That you, you were the one who did the wrong thing. Here's why this matters, is that if you are only applying the Bible to your life, and if you're only trying to go after good advice, you may be tempted to think that if you will just do it perfectly, everything will turn out perfectly for you. But here's the problem with that is, if you only do good advice and then things don't turn out good, you will begin to doubt that God isn't good. Whereas if you will remind yourself that the point is not everything you have to do, but everything Jesus has done, even when things aren't going well, you will still be held together. Okay, so that's why we do it. Now, how do we do it? Someone, and I shouldn't even like say this because it's kind of like a little hidden Easter egg. They're like, oh, so like even in your, like someone said this at the nine o'clock sermon, like, hey, like, so your sermon kind of modeled this because you started with the good news and then gave good advice. And I was like, yep, <laughs> yep. Actually, it was Rob's idea. So don't, don't, don't give me too much uh, uh, like props for that. But yeah, let me, I do want to do though right now is like say, okay, how do you actually put this into practice? What does this house rule actually look like on the ground with yourself and with other people in your life? Like in the church as a whole, in your gospel community, in your family, what does it actually look like to live this out on the ground? Okay? So I just want to give you some scenarios, and I think it'd just be helpful to walk through this, but I'm just going to go ahead and put my cards on the table. Here's what I'm also hoping. I'm hoping that some of these scenarios that I throw out right now, you're sitting in and living in them, some of you. And that this might actually be an opportunity for you to hear some good news about whatever you're going through. Scenario number one, someone comes to you and says, oh, I just feel like I'm so distant distant in my relationship with Christ. I haven't been walking with them. I haven't been like reading my Bible or praying. What should I do? I've had this happen multiple times recently. And you know what? I'm just going to be real. My temptation when someone comes to me with that is this. I want to say, oh, we're like, do you have a plan? Like, how are you reading your Bible? What is boring with you about the Bible? Do you know how to study it? Do you know how to pray? Do you have a prayer list? I immediately go into fix-it mode. Um, I, I think part of this is I'm a guy, and guys, I think, more naturally deal with this in general. But I think we all can. Like, we naturally just want to immediately help them solve the problem. But what if instead of doing that, we did this? What if we said this to that person? They said, I'm, I'm struggling my relationship with Jesus and I need help. What if I said, hey, I, I, there's some things in scripture that can help you and just from a few years of following Jesus, I can give you some practical tips, but can I give you some good news first? That if you have repented and believed in Jesus, the Bible says you're united with Jesus. You're in Jesus Christ. And even though you may not feel close to Jesus right now, you are not one inch away further from Jesus than you were when you were following Jesus the best you ever have. Because you're, not, you're united with him forever and there's nothing you can do to make that change because of everything he's already done for you. And that, hey, while you've been failing in your commitment to Jesus, Jesus never failed in his commitment to God. And he has never and will never fail in his commitment to you. And I just want to let you know that right now, if you're feeling conviction and repentance, you're forgiven in Jesus' name. And now you are set free to pursue Jesus, not to try to get him to love you and like you, but because he already does. Now, hey, would you like some help with maybe doing that? See how that's different? You see the difference that makes? And like in that moment, what that person first needed was not a bunch of good advice of everything that he or she had to do. 
They needed the good news of what Jesus had already done for them and be reminded of it first. Let's do another scenario. Um, Someone says, oh, I feel like such a bad, fill in the blank. I'm such a bad mom. I'm such a bad husband. I'm such a bad employee. I'm such a bad friend. And again, it can be easy to say, well, like, well hey, like, what's, what's the issue? Of, well, I'm dealing with this with my kid, and I, I yelled at them, oh, hey, this is a tactic that you can use next time that really helps for me. I go into that mode all the time, but what if I just stopped and I just said, hey, um, I definitely think God's word has some good instruction for us and can help us be better, whatever it is. But can I, can I just give you a different perspective right now? And let's just maybe pick one. Let's say a guy comes to me and says, I feel like I'm a bad dad, or I've been a bad dad recently. Um, just as a little quick tip, I try not to say, no, you're not, no, you're not, no, you're not, because sometimes God's convicting them of something, and that's just the best words they have for it in the moment, and I don't want to short-circuit that, so I just like to say this, well, hey, let's reframe this. What if you were the best dad ever? Like, what if you literally were the best dad of all time? Do, do you realize that even if you were the best dad, you can't make your kids perfect, and they're still going to rebel? God the Father is the best dad of all time, and we sin all the time. Hey, do you realize that even if you were the best dad, that doesn't make God love you an inch more, like a little bit more? So like, even if you were the best dad, like, that doesn't change anything in terms of like, God's love for you and even like, what you can control in the situation. But now, hey, let's, let's actually imagine what you said is true. Let's imagine if you really were the worst dad of all time. Can I give you some good news? Um, The Apostle Paul said that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom he was the foremost. He was the worst. So like, even if you were the worst dad of all time, do you know that Jesus knew you were going to be before you ever walked on this earth and yet he still went to the cross and died for your sin? And he would love to help you become a better dad, but the first thing that you need to know is that you can be forgiven. And all the times where you failed, Jesus succeeded. And he's succeeded all the times you fell. And he's covered over it with his life and his death. And then we can talk about what they should do. We have plenty of advice in our world. What we're lacking is some good news. And what we're lacking specifically is the good news of what Jesus has done. And that's why we want to give good news and then good advice. And so here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping again that Maybe what I just did was a helpful tool that you can use in your families and in your GCs and in marriages and every other place. I also really am hoping that as I was walking through some of the scenarios, and I wish we had time for more, that you got to hear the gospel applied to your own life this morning. Maybe let's put it this way. Think, I want you right now to think over your past seven days since you were in church. I want you to think of a few times where you really blew it. Man, you just really blew it. Something you did, a thought that crossed your mind, whatever. Maybe only you're the one who knows about how you blew it. Now I really want you to think about like a time where you just nailed it. A few times where you just nailed like following Jesus and you succeeded. And here's what I want you to know. Every time where you failed, every time where you failed, Jesus gave his life to cover over it. And he doesn't love you any less because of where you struggled this past week. In every place where you succeeded, 
It was only by the grace of God, number one, but number two, he didn't love you a single ounce more because of where you succeeded this past week. Everything we are before God is dependent on everything he did for us. And that's good news. Let's pray together. Hmm. God, we thank you for the gospel. Jesus, we thank you that you came and you did live a perfect life. We can't. We thank you that you went to the cross and you bore the penalty for our sins on yourself. That when you also then rose in victory. We thank you for the gospel. But God, we just admit right now that it is so easy to go into a mode of trying to fix ourselves or to fix others. It's so easy to focus on what we have to do instead of simply resting in what you have done. And God, would you just help us, Lord, um, to stop striving and to start just resting in you and in the gospel. God, may our first thought with ourselves and with others be, before we give ourselves or others good advice, would we just give ourselves and each other good news? Thank you. Thank you, thank you. That none of this depends on us, but on you. That we're not the center of the solar system of our lives or the church of the world trying to hold it all together, but you are the one and your gospel is the one holding it all together. This is your name we pray. Amen.